Hey, welcome to the Meta Church Podcast. We're thankful that you're taking part of your day to spend it with us, and we pray this message encourages you, inspires you, and leads you to experience the transformative power of Jesus in your life. Okay, normally when I preach or when we preach or share a message at Meta Church, uh, we tend to talk about like the positives and the benefits of being a follower of Jesus and the good things that are associated with, which there are, uh, as Paul says, boundless riches, you know, in the way of Jesus and in following Christ. Um, but today, oh, well, I should say today's message is going to be like that as well. Um, but before <clears throat> I get to that part, I actually want to start off with um, one of the things that uh, I don't like about being a Christian. Uh, one of the things that that bothers me about being a Christian, and, and maybe uh, at times, if I'm honest, it, it kind of upsets me or, or makes me angry uh, to be a Christian. And that thing, um, that thing that bothers me, that thing that, that upsets me is when people misrepresent, well, let me backtrack. It's when people who claim to follow Jesus, when people who say uh, they're followers of Jesus, that they're following the way of Jesus, misrepresent the heart of Jesus or mischaracterize who Jesus is to people who don't follow the way of Jesus. So when people who follow the way of Jesus, when people say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love God, I go to church, I do all these things, but then when they misrepresent or mischaracterize the heart and the way of Jesus to those who don't follow the way of Jesus. Now, this seems to happen, I don't know about how often or the frequency of it, but it happens enough where it's certainly not new news, where it's certainly not um, anything that's unfamiliar or anything that's you know, foreign to people. No one's surprised that there are Christians who do this or that there are people who have been turned off by the way of Jesus, or turned off to Jesus because of how some of us or some Christians have chosen to represent and reflect the way of Jesus in their lives. And I think about the ones that have often kind of end up on like mainstream media, right? Um, you know, it's like CNN is going to bring uh, some, quote, Christian leader uh, to talk about or discuss, you know, the signs of the times. And, and, and they bring on this guy. It's like, did they just find, like, the kookiest, like, the, the craziest guy on YouTube? Um, because they have this kind of, you know, lower graphic that says Christian leader. And I'm like, I don't know a single Christian that's following that guy. I don't know a single Christian that's following that girl. And yet here they are on national television saying kind of the most outlandish things, saying the craziest things. And like, you know, then I think about several years ago, you know, there was uh, this major natural disaster in Haiti, right? And, um, and so they asked this well-known pastor of a church in Texas, and they asked him, you know, about kind of what happened. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but over 100,000 people killed uh, in, the, in this earthquake uh, back in like uh, the early, like 2010, 2011, around that time frame. And so they bring this pastor on and they ask him about this. What do you make of, of this earthquake and what's happened? And on national television, he's on there and he's saying, well, you know, I think this is God's judgment on that country because of their sin of witchcraft. And I'm thinking like, wait, what? What? Never mind the fact that Haiti as a nation was founded because the oppressed, those who were enslaved and brought against their will from a different part of the world, and Haiti kind of served their base. They had to liberate themselves to fight for their freedom. So the country was established under this premise of those of an oppressor. And yet what you're saying is that the oppressed, those who are existing under oppression, are punished by God, but the oppressor gets off clean and unscathed. Like what? Like what? That doesn't even make sense. 
And then I remember just recently, a couple years ago, there was uh, a, a hurricane, right? And initially the path was headed toward the Gulf of Mexico uh, and, and toward like Texas, Louisiana in there. And so uh, another kind of prominent Christian pastor was, uh, again, just kind of um, on social media saying, we're praying this away from Texas. We're praying that God uh, would redirect the storm. And, um, and sure enough, you know, as hurricanes do, their course or its course changed. And so this hurricane was actually headed now toward the Carolinas. And I remember uh, this, this pastor commenting, wow, this is a victory of God. He answered our prayers. And this hurricane pummeled North and South Carolina. And again, I remember thinking like, why is this guy saying this stuff? Like, are there not Christians in North and South Carolina? Why are we celebrating? Oh, well, Texas was spared, but God bless you, South Carolina. The Christians and non-Christians are like, you're getting pummeled and, and I don't care because we're okay. And it's just like, is that really the heart of Jesus? That he celebrates when a hurricane is redirected here, that he celebrates or he comments uh, that, you know, a, a nation being, you know, pummeled by an earthquake and collapsing because of an earthquake is uh, his judgment and his vindication for, for their witchcraft. Like, is that really who Jesus is? Is that really his heart? And it's not just those who are put on, on media. Because listen, I, I wish to God, I wish they would just like find someone else. I, I'm not volunteering for it. <laughs> I don't want that spotlight on me. But I wish they would just find someone normal or sane. But, it, but again, it's just not the person in the media. Like I went to Bible college. I went to a Bible college with a guy who ended up owning his own kind of lawn care business. And on his trailer, like the trailer that he would use to tow all of his equipment, on the back, on the, on the kind of the, the, what, like if you were driving behind it, what you would see on the back of this trailer was the phrase, turn or burn with a scripture reference about hell. Like, like what? That's how you're going to convince people. That's how you want to get people to follow the way of Jesus. And you're saying, oh, this is my Christian duty. And he was so kind of, you know, brash and proud of it that this is, you know, his ministry and his mark on the world. And that's how, you know, that's what's going to let people know that, that Jesus loves them. And it's like, what? This is not the heart of Jesus. Like, I don't find a verse at all where Jesus is saying, hey, turn or burn, no context. It's just a passerby. No, Jesus would talk about hell. And Jesus would talk about you know, the, real, uh, the reality of hell and the consequences of hell, but he always talked about it in the concept of like, listen, my love and my grace and my forgiveness is extended and those who reject it will suffer because of it, but my grace is extended. My love is offered, not just turn or burn. And, and, and listen, to be clear, like I have, I too have misrepresented the way and the heart of Jesus to non-Christians as well, okay? This isn't me like dunking on people. This isn't, you know, um, me trying to pretend that I'm better than people. And, and, and look, I do my best to follow the way of Jesus today, and I'll do my best to follow the way of Jesus tomorrow. But there's no guarantee that I will live the rest of my life and that I will not slip up or, or in some way, or that I'm, you know, uh, not potentially or, or don't have the potential to misrepresent the heart of Jesus to others. So I fully get that. So again, this isn't me saying, hey, they're bad, I'm good, look at me, follow me, I get it right, they get it wrong. But man, when I see those things, when I hear about, you know, oh, an earthquake happening because these oppressed people are, are on the receiving end of God's judgment, or uh, we prayed away a hurricane and now it's, you know, destroyed the lives of other people in a different part of the country, but that's okay because God answered our prayers. And uh, a turn or burn, like when I, when I, I'm like, man, like, that's not who Jesus is. That's not his heart. Like, no wonder people don't want anything to do with him. 
No wonder people don't want to follow the way of Jesus. No wonder people are opposed uh, to, to this Christianity that they've seen or experienced or sadly have been on the receiving end of. You know, somehow we've managed to make Jesus and Christianity the way of Jesus as a whole. It's, it's kind of become so easily resistible. And for some, maybe even for many, it's become despicable. It's become this thing that's like, oh, I don't want that. I've seen that Christianity. I've seen that person on TV. I know the people in my neighborhood. I know how they've acted. I know what they've said. I know what they think about this certain issue. And then and they just, you know, people on the outside see it and they're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with it. And that bothers me because in the early days of Christianity, in the early days of following Jesus, in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years following Jesus' life, that's not the way it was. In fact, while Jesus was here, that's not the way it was. Crowds would gather. Thousands upon thousands would come to hear from Jesus, to learn about him, to see him perform miracles, to hear him teach, to touch him, to see if maybe they could experience a breakthrough in their lives. In fact, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus like Jesus. And it wasn't just that people who were nothing like Jesus like Jesus. It's that Jesus actually liked hanging out with people who were nothing like him, right? That's why he was called a friend of sinners, because he hung out with tax collectors. He welcomed children, uh, which again, today you say, well, children, of course, who's, you're a jerk if you don't like kids. But not in those days. Children were kind of a nuisance, and in the hierarchy of, of humanity, children were at the bottom of the totem pole, just barely above a servant or a slave. And yet Jesus welcomed children unto him. He hung out with prostitutes and harlots, he hung out with sick people, diseased people. He spent time with Samaritans who would be the equivalent of like a modern day terrorist. At least that's the perception the Jews had of the Samaritans. And yet Jesus spent time with all of them so much so that the accusations against Jesus were that he was a friend of sinners, that he hung out with drunkards, that the people he associated himself were despicable. And yet those people liked Jesus. Jesus was not any of those things himself. Yet those people liked Jesus and Jesus liked hanging out with him. In fact, and then it went beyond that because it wasn't just about Jesus, this one compelling person or individual, but after Jesus ascended and left and departed this earth, his disciples were doing the same thing all over the world. And hundreds and thousands of people would come. In fact, in the book of Acts, we read about a situation where Peter is walking through a city and the crowds are pressing in. And literally, they're just thinking, well, if I could just kind of be in the footprint or be in the, in the path of his shadow so that his shadow would pass over me, maybe something miraculous would happen in my life. The way of Jesus was new. It was compelling. It was engaging. And in many ways, the way of Jesus was irresistible to people who weren't following Jesus. In fact, the early church was so dynamic and so irresistible that Pastor Andy Stanley wrote a book about the early Christian life and the early church by that very title, by that same title, called Irresistible. And one of my favorite things uh, that he wrote kind of at the start, one of the most convicting things is something that's kind of inserted at the start of the, of the book, kind of contrasting the early church versus the American church. And he says this, much of what makes American Christianity so resistible, so resistible to those outside the faith are things we should have been resisting all along. Think about that for a moment. 
Much of what makes American Christianity so resistible to those outside the faith are things we should have been resisting all along. And I'll go ahead and take that a step further and add to it that we've embraced the things that we should have actually resisted and instead we've embraced the things we should have resisted and then we've resisted the things that we should have embraced when it comes to following the way of Jesus, when it comes to becoming a Christ-like person, when 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 it comes to actually showing and representing who Jesus is to the world around us. And that's why we've been in this series, right? That's what, like, you know, part of the reason why we've been teaching this series and spending time in this series for the last three months to live out the way of Jesus, to become more like Christ. As we said, that Christians um, were people who lived out the way of Jesus, that we were called disciples, that we said, if you follow Jesus, you became known as a disciple and you were so much like Christ that you became, quote, little Christ, which is the word Christians, And we said this series is about so that we can become like Christ and show Christ to others, you know, trying to get each and every one of us here at Meta, online on the podcast, uh, to embrace the way of Jesus in our lives to the best of our understanding and to the best of our abilities. Because listen, we're not saying that Meta is going to get it better than everyone else. We're not saying that you or me is going to do it better than everyone else. But to the best of our understanding, to the best of our ability, our desire is to choose to follow the way of Jesus as closely as possible so that the world can see and know who Jesus actually is. And so today, for this message, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Typically, I have like points to share to help you understand the direction of what I'm doing, but I don't have points today. Instead, I have parts. I have parts to my message. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of give, I have three parts, and I'm going to give them to you all up front, okay? There's the what, the how, and the why, Those are three parts. I'm going to tell my message. I'm going to speak my message in three parts. What, how, why. And and so I'm going to begin with the what. The what. Like we'll start with what. Like what made the way of Jesus so compelling? What made, um, you know, this, this new kind of path so engaging, so dynamic that people, that crowds were, were hoarding to hear about it, wanting to eager to experience it and be a part of it themselves to join in, to abandon cultural and religious norms so they could follow the way of Jesus more closely. What made it irresistible, as Andy Stanley said? What made the early Christians and the early church so different than the Christians and the church we experience and we see and we're familiar with today? And while I could reference historical records and historical accounts of Christians rescuing babies from uh, the Roman practice of exposure or caring for widows or uh, starting medical facilities to care for the sick and tend to the sick um, or you know, offering food distribution to the poor. Um, I could mention a whole host of these things and give references and examples and accounts. I actually think that the what, like what made a difference, I actually think it's simpler and yet deeper than those things that happened externally. I think what made Christianity different is both simpler and deeper than those external activities. You see, I think, yes, starting hospitals and starting orphanages and feeding the poor, those things certainly made an impact and they certainly stood out. But the what was something internal. It was driven by what was taking place internally, not some external actions, not some external attitudes or or behaviors that impacted people, the what came from within. And I happen to believe, I personally believe, that the what is actually captured and written about and described by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5. 
In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to a church in a region, not just like one church, like Metachurch. He's writing to a region of Christians. And he um, goes on to write about the differences between those who live apart from Jesus and those who follow the way of Jesus and kind of the, the marks or the differentiators, the things that would distinguish those who don't follow Jesus and those who do follow Jesus. And so that's where we'll pick up in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul is writing to these Christians and he says this, So I say to you, or so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Now pause for a second. Right there he separates the two. You have your sinful nature, which is who you used to be, who you are apart from Christ. But then you have the Spirit. And if you remember back from like week two and week three of this series, we talked about the Holy Spirit being in you. And we talked about God giving you and gifting you the Holy Spirit. And Jesus saying, it's better for you that I leave so that you can actually receive the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, there's the sinful nature, what you had before Christ. But now there's the Spirit, what you have in Christ. And he goes on, he says, and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. In other words, when you are living in the way of Jesus, when you are following the way of Jesus, when you're walking in the spirit, you're not under obligation to this old way. You're not subject to this old life. You're not having to subjugate yourself to the patterns and the behaviors and the customs of the old you. And then he goes on to describe what the old or the sinful nature looks like. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me pause here for a second and just speak to this. Because Paul goes on the record and says, this list that we just read, this list that I, in his case, I just wrote out to you, this is all Mark's of someone who is not following and living out the way of Jesus in their lives. Now, what's scary about that is that this list is applicable to many people who follow the way of Jesus. And I'll raise my hand and volunteer myself that say that, yes, I have been a quote, I have been a follower of Jesus and been committed to Jesus. And yet my life has been marked at times by these things. And yet that list is not anything that I want associated with my life. But we see it here. We see this in our world. We see this, you know, and, and let me just kind of, you know, right off the top, right? He says sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. And let me just take a moment to speak to the women, to speak to the ladies in our church, specifically the single ladies. And if you're on the podcast and you're single um, and uh, maybe you're familiar with this, but I have heard so many times over the years from women at Meta Church about how difficult it is to do something that should be as simple as dating in a city like New York. That time and time again, they find themselves disappointed, hurt, distraught even, maybe even having to experience aspects or levels of, of trauma because they 
meet a person, meet a guy, and engage in a relationship only to discover, only to find that this guy is basically looking for a booty call, he's looking for a one night stand, he wants to hit it and quit it and move on with his life, and they find themselves disappointed, frustrated, feeling broken, as if something is wrong with them because they're not willing to stoop and lower themselves to that person's level, because this person is driven by lust and sexual immorality. And I'm not talking about guys who are not Christians. I'm talking about guys who say, yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Guys who would profess the name of Jesus and yet aren't interested in honoring and respecting and protecting their sisters in Christ. Now, that's a problem. That's an issue. And listen, if you're a lady at MetaChurch um, and you've experienced this and you've encountered this, I just want to apologize to you. I want to say I'm sorry for what you've experienced. I want to say I'm sorry that you've had to go through that. I want to say um, that this is not the way it's supposed to be and your Heavenly Father does not view you as a sexual object or as a piece of of meat or an item that should be sexualized and valued only of uh, your worthiness only be based upon whether you're willing to put out or not. That's not who God says you are. That's not how God sees you. And my prayer for you is that you would find a man, that you would find a person who would dignify you, who would honor you, who would love you, who would serve you, and treat you the way Christ treats you. But it's not just the areas of dating. You think about these things like idolatry and hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. How many times have we not seen those things over the last six years? Right? These social media outbursts. A lot of times centered around politics, you know, Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus, yelling and shouting about their candidate, yelling and shouting against the other candidate, yelling and shouting pro-COVID or anti-COVID or or, or pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, you know, pro-Hillary, pro-Trump, like all these things. And they're just like outbursts of anger, calling out people quick to, you know, Twitter, you know, Twitter fingers like and comment on anything and everything with no self-control with no level of compassion, with no level of of sympathy or empathy. Just this is what I think, this is what I feel in the moment, so this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to post. This is what I'm going to share. This is how I'm going to lash out at someone on social media or in person or wherever the case may be. Think about selfish ambition, dissension, division. You know, those things here in this city, the number of Christians, again, people who say they love God, people who say, yes, I've given my life to Jesus. And and listen, I'm not questioning whether they actually have or not. I believe they actually have. Yet they're driven by selfish ambition. What do I do? What's going to benefit me? What can I gain out of this situation? What can I extract from this versus what can I put into this? Whether it's a relationship or an opportunity to serve or an opportunity to care, or I won't do that if I don't see the, the immediate benefit, the ROI on my investment and on my time. And so I'm driven by selfishness. And if I don't get something I want, if I don't get something I I'm going to, you know, create division or stir up dissension by, by roping other people into it or, or by um, tearing them down and, 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 and creating more problems than I do good or solutions. And yet these are Christians that we know, people who come to mind, maybe you yourself, maybe me at times have been guilty of this. And yet that's not the way of Jesus. And he goes on, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. These are all things that Paul says, listen, that's not supposed to be this list of stuff. 
is not who Jesus is. It's not how we're supposed to live our lives. It's not how we're supposed to follow the way of Christ. Like if you follow the way of Christ, you don't have this stuff in your life. So clearly when these things become evidence, Paul's not saying this is the internal stuff. Paul's saying this is the outworking. These are the things that we can see. These are the things that we can assess that are obvious to us. And he says, that's not the way of Jesus. But then he goes on in verse 22. And he says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then notice this, he says, There is no law against these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, um, self-control gentleness. These nine things that Paul is listening to, those nine things, there is no law against those things. And he says, if you are following the way of Jesus, when you are following the way of Jesus, when you're living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, these are the things that come out of you. In fact, Paul calls them fruits. And he says, these are fruits. These are things that are being produced in your life. Again, it's not like this is an external thing or these are, these are just external signs and marks of who you are. When you follow the way of Jesus, that when you follow the way of Jesus, these things just come out of you. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That these things will come out of you as you follow the way of Jesus. And I believe that this is what separated the early church and the early Christians. I believe this is what made the early church different because they lived in a time when this other list that Paul described was rampant and evident in every aspect, in every arena of life. And yet when the Christians lived, when they followed the way of Jesus, all of a sudden things looked different. All of a sudden things were different. And I'll give you an example. I mentioned this practice of exposure, which if you're unfamiliar with it, it's okay because many people aren't familiar with the practice of exposure. It was a practice in Roman society, a completely legal practice, and this isn't anything you'll find in the Bible. It's actually historical record about Roman society and Roman civilization. But there was a practice of exposure, which was simply this. The practice allowed for this. Okay? You have a child. And for whatever reason, you have this child and uh, maybe has a physical deformity. Maybe uh, it, it's a, a girl. It's a female child instead of a male child, which is deemed less valuable or less honorable. Maybe you just don't have the means to care for this child. It was completely legal, completely permissible to go to the outskirts of your town, your city, your village, and there would be a place where you could bring this newborn child and you could leave this child there for up to seven days. And you were effectively exposing, hence exposure, you were exposing this child to the elements. And at the end, at the conclusion of these seven days, if that child lived, it was deemed that the gods wanted you to have this child. Now here's the catch. During those seven days, you weren't there with that child. You weren't feeding that child. You weren't caring for that child. You weren't nurturing that child. And if it rained, if it was cold, if it was hot, it didn't matter. That's part of the process of exposure. It was a legalized form of post-birth abortion. It was murder. It was homicide. Completely legal, wholly welcomed and accepted in Roman society. But it was the Christians after hearing and learning and following the way of Jesus, after understanding that God sees dignity and purpose in each and every person, that God has called us by name, that God has chosen us, that he knows the hairs on our head, and they saw that Jesus lived with compassion and that he lived with love and he showed empathy and he cared for the least of these. It was the Christians who determined that this injustice 
This grotesque practice was completely and wholly unacceptable. So on their own, they would go to these outskirts, they would go to these places where exposure would occur, and they would retrieve and rescue these newborns, and rescue these babies, redeem these babies, and adopt them, and love them, and care for them. And they started to do this in such volume, at such levels, that orphanages, what we now understand and know as orphanages, became common practices where Christians would home or house these children and raise them and care for them and love them and teach them the way of Jesus. Teach them that someone might have left you on the street and someone might have kicked you out of town, but God sees you and he's rescued you and he has purpose for you and he loves you and he cares about you because they said, you know what? That's what's good. That's what's kind. That's what it means to be faithful. That's what it means to show love. And this way of Jesus started to transform and overtake their lives. And it started to produce this fruit in them. Now imagine for just a second, we may not practice exposure in that way or see things in that light today in our modern society. But all these things that Paul listed are still running rampant. Again, I just ran through a list of them and gave a handful of examples. But these things are still happening in our society. So what if for just a moment you imagine that you and every Christian you knew and every Christian you met was marked by these nine characteristics that you said when someone talked about Maggie, when someone talked about Sebastian, when someone talked about uh, Krista or when they talked about Preeti, uh, that they would say, you know what, that person is filled with patience. That person is filled with grace. That person is filled with goodness. That person is so faithful. That person is so uh, just kind of understanding and self-controlled. And you know, I don't know what it is about them, no matter what they go through in work and family and relationships, they just have an abundant amount of joy. And yeah, you know what would, what would be the difference? There would be a world of people who would say, you know, I may not believe in what you believe. I don't know that I want to believe in what you believe, but I know there is something different about you. The what stands out and that what is compelling, that what is engaging. And in many ways, that what becomes irresistible. That's what Paul said is different. And Paul said, these are fruits. And here's what you need to know about fruits. Fruit comes naturally. It's not forced. Fruit comes naturally. It's not forced. An apple tree doesn't labor to produce apples. An orange tree doesn't labor to produce oranges. A grapevine doesn't labor to produce grapes. And a Christian following the way of Jesus doesn't labor to produce these fruits. It's not, oh, you know what? I need to be more loving. So I need to really practice. I need to focus on this. I need to work really hard to be more loving to the people in my life. No, no, no. Actually, what you need to do is say, you know, I need to be more committed to the way of Jesus. Let Jesus transform who I am. Let him work from the inside out. And then out of me will come love. You know, I've been struggling with patience. I've been getting really frustrated, really aggravated at work or with my family or with my kids or with my roommate. And, and it's just killing me. It's driving me nuts. And I need to be more patient. Yes, but the way you get more patience is not to be patient or to practice patience, but instead to say, you know, I'm going to submit myself to the way of Jesus. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to abide in Christ. And in that process, patience is what's going to be that flows out of me. That's where gentleness and goodness and all of these other things that Paul describes, that's where it comes from. That's where it's derived from is when you choose to follow the way of Jesus. Which begs the question, how? How do I do this? I mean, how is it, Ricky, that I make sure that I'm bearing and producing this kind of fruit in my life? How is it? How do I ensure that no matter what the circumstance or no matter what the situation, that goodness and gentleness and kindness and joy and self-control are always 
producing and bearing themselves and showing themselves in my life, that my life is marked by these characteristics. How do I make sure that this is the fruit of my life? And while that's a challenging question, certainly an appropriate question, the answer to that question and the guidance that we need for that question comes actually from Jesus himself. In John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night that he would be betrayed, arrested, and then just less than 24 hours before he'd be crucified and killed. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse 4, here's the key. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. How do I produce more fruit? How do I bear fruit in my life? How do I have this as the marks of my life? Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. Again, an apple tree branch cannot produce apples if it is not attached to the vine and if it's not attached to the tree itself. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You can't produce those things if you're not abiding and remaining in Jesus. Verse five, why? Because Jesus said, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Jesus said the key to producing fruit in your life, the key to producing fruit in my life is to remain in him. Now, I've got to tell you, I've got to let you know, There's a, for years I would read this passage and I think I would misunderstand or read it incorrectly. Because for years I would read, remain, or other versions might translate it as abide in me. And I read that passively. Like I just assumed or I just thought, okay, well, if I'm going to remain in Jesus, then it means I just pray. I'm like, I'm right here. Okay, just like remain. But that's actually not the case. In fact, what you need to know about this is that remaining in Jesus is active, not passive. Remaining in Jesus is active work. It takes diligence. It takes discipline. It takes action on your part. It's not passive behavior. You see, everything in the world, Satan is at work to use anything and everything in this world to pull you out. If you imagine, remember like when you were a kid and you had like preschool or kindergarten, you had those different mats and you had to stay in the mat for a certain time, maybe reading time or whatever, or like you had your kind of spot, right? And it was like you had to stay in this mat. If you imagine for a moment that remaining in Jesus has that kind of visual, has that kind of picture. It's like, okay, I just need to stay put. I just need to remain in this space. But Satan is at work to use anything and everything to kind of pull you out of that space, to draw you away from it, to lure you out of it. And remaining is actually not passive in the sense that I just sit here and nothing happens. Remaining is saying, no, I need to resist the things that are trying to pull me out of this. I need to fight off the things that are trying to come against me. I need to block the temptations that are trying to lure me out of this. I need to stay put right here. I need to remain in Christ. I need to abide in Christ. I need to fight and contend to be here because this is where I'm going to be fruitful. This is where my life is going to have impact. This is where my life will make a difference in the lives of others. And there are times where it's going to be difficult. There are times where it's going to be challenging. There are times where you're going to feel like you want to give up. Yeah, like, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. I feel like nothing is panning out. 
I feel like no matter what I pray, no matter how hard I ask God, no matter how hard I stay put, nothing is working in my favor and nothing is working in my situation. And it just feels like it'd be easier to go over there. It feels like it'd be easier to just walk away and to step into something else. But instead of doing that, I have to choose to stay right here, that I need to remain in Christ because this is where he's put me. This is where he's placed me. And this is where he's called me. And so this is where I need to be. Maybe it feels like the walls are caving in. Maybe it feels like, you know what, these things are collapsing and you're afraid and you're fearful. Like, man, if I don't do something, if I don't take action, if I don't work out, like I'm going to lose everything I have. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to lose my career, um, my dreams, my purpose. None of these things are going to be fulfilled because everything is just kind of crumbling. And I'm scared. I just feel like I need to bolt and just kind of try to make things happen. And yet the toughest thing you can do is to remain exactly where Jesus has put you and to remain faithful to him and trust that he's going to come through, that he's going to deliver, that he's going to provide for you. And maybe, yeah, you're sitting there and life is good, but there's a temptation called calling you out and saying, listen, it's kind of like frozen and something is calling and you don't know what you need to do, but you feel like, man, it's pretty. It sounds nice. It looks good. Maybe it'll feel good. And so the temptation is to go running after that thing. But the Christian, the follower of Jesus says, you know, I'm going to remain right here. I have to stay by Jesus' side because this is where I'm going to be fruitful. This is where I'm going to be impactful. And this is where I'm going to be blessed. And that's not always easy. Remaining is far from passive. See, I had to come to the understanding in my life that remaining is active, that it's work. And it's not easy work, but it's worthy work. It's challenging, but it's rewarding. And if you remain in Jesus, you will produce much fruit. You can do this. That's the catch. Jesus said he guaranteed it. If you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. He promised it. He declared it over your life and over mine. And though it may not be easy, it certainly is worth it, and it certainly can be done. So I want to encourage you to remain in Jesus. How do I produce much fruit? Remain in Jesus. So we talked about the what, and we talked about the how, and that leads us now to why. Why? Why is it that the way of Jesus is so important? Why is it that a Christian, that you or I, should commit to following the way of Jesus to the best of our ability? Why is it that God has chosen for this path and this means to be the way that he desires or what he desires for those he calls his children? Why? Unfortunately, I run out of time in today's message. So the answers to those questions and the why behind the how and the what will have to come in next week's message as we wrap up our series, The Way of Jesus. Church, it's been a great Sunday. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to step right into worship. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you have called us into something greater, that you have invited us into a new life, something that is different, something that is distinct, something that is irresistible, that when we abide in you, when we remain in you, the fruits of our lives will be drastically different than the fruits we produced apart from you. I pray that we would have the courage and the fight and the will to abide in you and only you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today on the Meta Church Podcast. To connect further with us, find us on Instagram or visit us online.